you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, today we are beginning a new series. This is a series in the book of Colossians. And I want to encourage you as we're going through this series to read Colossians with us. Um, One of my favorite apps for reading the Bible is called the Blue Letter Bible. How many of you have heard of the Blue Letter Bible app? Okay, there's a few hands. If you don't have it already, I want to encourage you to use it. Uh, It's a little faster than some of the others. But one feature that I really like is the Bible reading feature. It actually has an icon you can press where the scriptures will scroll up your screen for you. And you can adjust the speed to your reading speed. And it makes it, you know how sometimes people are on their phone and they keep using their thumb? You don't have to do that. It's really nice. Beyond that, it's a wealth of resources, uh, literally thousands of dollars worth of resources in terms of commentaries and other Bible versions. Uh, You can, if you want, you can even listen to it audibly. For those of you who prefer to listen versus read, you just put in your headphones, and you can listen to dramatized versions of the Bible in any version. And so really cool app. I encourage you to check that out, Blue Letter Bible app, as we go through the book of Colossians. Well, as you see on the screen, the title of this series is called All and Nothing. And the normal phrase that we're accustomed to is all or nothing. And this is not a typo. This is on purpose. Usually all or nothing means, refers to our commitment. It's like, are you all in? Are you 100%? Because if you're not, then just forget it. It's all or nothing. Either we're going or we're not going. Sometimes you'll hear it this way, go big or go home. (laughs) You know, it's saying the same thing. But this is all and nothing. The title refers to the deity of Jesus and the idea that Christ is all Christ is everything, and we can add nothing to life and to what he has done for us. Christ is all, he's everything, and we can add nothing to life or what he has done for us. Now, for some of you, how does that ring? I mean, that may come across as kind of an extreme statement, maybe kind of an exclusive statement. Really, that might be a question mark in some of our minds. But I want to encourage you to realize that as the source of life, he really is everything, as the creator. And sometimes we get misled by the thinking of this world to think that we are a source unto ourselves. And we're not. But if that thinking is there, I just encourage you, try holding your breath. Go ahead, we'll wait for you. And we'll see how long that lasts. You see, because truly, we are dependent on what God gives us. All and nothing. Christ is all. And we can add nothing to life. We can only receive it. We can only receive it. I have a video that we'd like to show you real quick. Just uh, says the same thing, but in a much better way. And so you would go ahead and show that. Endless questions. Who is supreme? whose name is above all, a revelation that comes from a greater understanding of the cross. His work sufficient, name above all names, Jesus. He is above all, he has given all, and nothing we do can be added to it. 
all and nothing. The theme of this particular series is focusing on one characteristic of the deity of Jesus, and it's called the preeminence of Christ. That's the theological term, the preeminence of Christ. You've heard of eminence? Like in a movie, somebody might say, yes, your eminence. It refers to their high rank or their high standing. Well, Jesus is preeminent. He's before all, he's above all, he's first of all, he is all. This is about the preeminence of Jesus. And when we don't understand the preeminence of Christ, then we try to add things to make life work. When we don't understand that he embodies everything that we need for life, then we try to add stuff to make it work. Christ is all, and he's all we need to make life complete. But because of this other thinking that creeps in, we tend to come up with some other ideas about the way life works. And the way it translates uh, here in the church, especially when it comes to salvation, and there are many segments of Christendom that kind of fall into this kind of thinking. There's a lot of faulty thinking out there. Sometimes there's the idea that salvation is Jesus Christ plus a lot of hard work. And you'll, you'll hear that thinking as you talk to people about their ideas of, you know, how do we get right with God? How do I have favor with God? How do I, how do I go to heaven? And a lot of the thinking out there is, well, yeah, Jesus is there and he forgave us, but, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's kind of that rugged independence and individualism that we have. It's, like, it's almost like a stronghold in the mind that we have a hard time letting go of. You know, a real man is one who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps. You know, that's that being your own source that I talked about earlier. There's a lot of faulty thinking out there. Another one is, uh, if, you're, if it's in a more religious context, is the idea that salvation is Jesus Christ plus religious rituals, or maybe religious practices, or maybe religious ceremony, maybe kind of a religious lifestyle. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, one of them is the idea of asceticism. How many of you have heard about asceticism? It's, it's a term that describes harsh treatment of the body. Asceticism is the idea that if I suffer, that I'm more spiritual, that if I suffer, I kind of earn spiritual points that I'll be rewarded for. And so the idea is that Christ isn't enough. I'm not already at a place of right standing with him because he's given me the free gift of his righteousness, but I need to add to it in order to get to that place. And so asceticism is another common kind of form of thinking that is in the church. Another one is the idea of religious ceremonies being necessary. And one that you, you sometimes hear about in some circles is the idea that uh, salvation is Jesus Christ plus baptism. That you also must be baptized in order to go to heaven. Now, there is, if a person studied the Bible and they only looked at select verses, I could see them coming to that conclusion. But there are some churches that go a step further and they say not only must you be baptized, but you also must be baptized in our church. And that's the only way that you can be saved. And so, you know, in order to know what is true, because there's a lot of ideas out there about theology, about church, you know, how do we know? When a bank teller is trained to identify a counterfeit, 
They're trained by looking at the original. They're trained by looking at the real thing. And any, that's all they have to study. You just got to know the real $100 bill. And if you see anything different, you know it's a counterfeit. You don't have to study all the counterfeits. All you got to do is study the real thing. Well, today, uh, with advanced technology, it's even a little more complex than that. You ever take a $100 bill to a cashier and they have a little pen where they mark to the bill? It's kind of like a litmus test. There's a little test to see if it's authentic. And so the kind of the pen mark, the mark that you're looking for to know if it's authentic Christianity, if it's biblical Christianity, is does it reflect the preeminence of Christ? That's the mark that you look for. You know, um, I was talking about baptism and how some people say, you know, you need to be baptized. And there's this idea that circulates in some churches. It's called regenerational baptism. The idea is that you're born again when you're baptized. And some of the churches that hold to that as a prerequisite for your relationship with God and your entry into heaven, they focus on the physical baptism, but not the spiritual. Let me put it another way. There are two kinds of baptism. There are wet ones, and there are dry ones. Okay, when you go down to EPAL with us on Sunday afternoon after Victory Weekend, and we have a baptism, that's the wet one. But the dry one is when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he regenerates you. Titus 3.5, we can go to that verse. Titus 3.5 says he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the Holy Spirit in order to be regenerated. Let me put it this way. As we study the book of Colossians, Paul is saying this, salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing. Salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing. He is all, and we can do nothing to add to his finished work. All we need to know is Christ alone. That's what it means when we say all and nothing. And so as we go through this series, it's a seven-week series. Here's the schedule of what it's going to look like over time. Today is just an introduction. In week two, we talk about the supremacy of Jesus. In weeks three and four, what Jesus did for us. And in weeks five, six, and seven, therefore, how should we live for Jesus? Now, there's an urgent need for us to study the book of Colossians. Because we live in a society today where there's this thinking called religious toleration. Now, our Constitution was built with religious toleration in mind. It was allowing freedom of religion. But today, the way that term religious toleration is interpreted is the idea that any religion is just as good as any other religion. And so Jesus may be prominent, but he's not preeminent. We're living in an age today where there is this idea of syncretism, uh, think of the word synchronize. And the idea is to take all the major philosophies, all the major religions, all the major teachers in the world and combine them to create whatever. It could be your personal religion. It could be a superior religion. And so that's the kind of community that we're living in today. In this kind of thinking, Jesus Christ is only one of many great religious teachers with no more authority than any of the others. We're living in an age of syncretism. 
And so the idea is to try and harmonize. You know, your religion, your truth, I mean, it's all good. It's all good. How many of you have heard that? And if we come to accept that, what happens is we're in danger of diluting the faith. We're in danger of diluting the faith, and we can even have a good heart about it. You know, in my attempt to be loving, to be sensitive to others, to try and understand their beliefs, their faith, you know, we can get to a place where mysticism, legalism, asceticism, man-made philosophies, all of these kind of slowly begin to creep into our thinking and into our hearts. To many people who are unsuspecting, Many believers, they're not denying Christ. It's just that they have no power because they don't know who Jesus really is. When Christians don't understand their faith, then we water down the gospel to accommodate our culture, to be more acceptable, to be cool, to be accepted by our friends. And as a result, then we're tempted to cut out certain things that the Bible says, certain tenets of the faith we're tempted to maybe kind of put that aside, maybe not emphasize that, not make that so important so that, you know, we can be accepted. We're tempted to do that because we don't want to offend people. And so we can cut out certain offending parts. Or we could add something false that really isn't biblical just to kind of conform to the culture of the age. And, and we live uh, in a region of the world where conformity is considered a virtue. You know, if you're living in a more Western society, you know, being a rugged individual, having your own idea, speaking your mind is considered a virtue. But in parts of Asia, it's more important to be sensitive to the group. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to lose face. And so there's a greater temptation to, to fall into this idea of letting certain things slide. Paul wrote to the Colossians, to help them grasp ever more firmly who Christ is and the rich glories that are available in him alone. The Christian life flows naturally out of this revelation. You know, it's the idea that the Christian life really is Christ flowing through an individual. God manifests the life of Christ through an individual as they abide in him. Paul's first step in helping the Christians in Colossae to accomplish this was to pray for them, to pray for them. He knew the danger, and he was deeply concerned, and so he prayed for them. And he was constant in his prayer. He says in the beginning of his letter to the believers in Colossae, he said, we do not cease praying for you. Wow. Think about that for a moment. As, a, as raising the bar in terms of showing concern for others. He said, we do not cease in praying for you. And prayer is needed for every church. Prayer is needed for every believer, especially those who are facing false teachings. Praying for others will lead them to a deeper experience with God. It'll help them have a much stronger walk with God. You know, when my kids were little, um, I used to drive them to school every day. And we had this little routine. We'd drive by Winchell's and get a donut with sprinkles and then go on to school. And, and then we'd park in the parking lot and I'd pray for my kids. And then they'd go off to class. And we just did that every day, every day. And then one day when they got a little bit older, they said, hey, Dad, can we ride the bus? I'm like, no, nah, I want you to ride the bus. 
So, you know, a couple days, weeks go by. Hey, Dad, can we ride the bus? No, I don't want... Dad, how come we can't ride the bus? And I don't want to plant things in their mind or seeds. In their, I, don't want, I don't want them to live based on fear or anything like that. And I'm just like, no, nah, we're not riding the bus. But they were consistent. You know, all my, my friends ride the bus. So one day, they got older. I said, okay, you can ride the bus. And so at the end of the day, I'm really curious. I'm like, how was your day? And I'm like, it was, it was fine. I was like, okay, whew, good. So next day, they ride the bus. I ask, how was your day? It was good. Third day, they said, Dad, can you come pick us up? I'm like, what? What happened on the bus? <laughs> they said, nothing, nothing. It's okay. It's just that, you know, it's not aircon, and it doesn't stop by McDonald's. And I'm like, okay, you can ride in the car. <laughs> and so, you know, that was the routine. Day after day, week after week, year after year, took them to school, prayed for them. Just yesterday... My older daughter, Tara, she texts me. I don't know if she like crying. <laughs> and she said, hey, Dad, are you there? It was a text message. I wasn't there. I was in a meeting. I missed it. She said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that um, I really appreciate all those times that you would pray for me when you dropped me off at school. She said, she said I didn't realize how nurturing that was. And I said, oh, thank you, sweetie. I said, um, did something come up? I mean, what, what made you realize that? <laughs> oh, man. And she said, I was reading this book, and the author was saying, uh, it was talking about nurturing the spirit. And the, the author was using the illustration of the physical body. And she said, you know, a, a parent who loves their child, there, there's, there's no mother who would not feed their child three square meals a day. And they agonize in their heart if they're not able to do that. You know, if there's, if there's poverty, if there's limited resources and they can't feed their kids, it just, it just eats at them. They, just, they want to take care of their kids. And the author went on to say that if we could only apply that to the spiritual view of who we are and realizing that the spirit of the child needs just as much nurture and care and provision as the physical body, you know, when we see those pictures on the internet or on TV of emaciated children, you know, feed the hungry, support them, you know, our hearts just drop when you see somebody who's literally just skin and bones. But if you could see the spirit of a child, we would be aware that there's, there's so much need for nurture to, to speak love and to encourage and to support and to help build them up and to have confidence and, and to know that you know, they're loved, and they're, they belong, and they're welcomed. And she said, if we come to see that, then it becomes easy. How do we do that? Bedtime prayers, words of encouragement. And then it actually said, praying for them when you drop them off before they go to school. And that was the thing that prompted her to write a text and say, hey, Dad, I really appreciate all those times that you would pray for us. And so here's my point of sharing that whole story. We want you to know how important prayer is. Every single one of us need the support and the encouragement of others who are caring and praying and supporting one another. And we want you to know that we are praying for you. There are intercessors groups that meet weekly in our church praying for you. There are life groups that meet all throughout the week. There's a lot of prayer that's happening in those groups, and people praying for the church. We want you to know that we're praying for you. 
there's a lot of people who are praying. We want you to experience God. We want you to know um, what he's doing, what he's doing in the lives of people around you. There are people who are praying for you. And so on that note, I haven't even gotten to the message yet. Let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) Father, thank you for today. And I thank you, God, for the blessing of talking to you, of interacting with you in a way that's real and personal. Lord, I thank you for this amazing gift of life and that you're here now. And Lord, even more amazingly, you dwell within us. God, we love you. We need you. Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters here that we can journey together in the kingdom. And I pray, God, that you would bless each relationship, especially husbands and wives and parents and kids, but then across families, Lord, friends and relatives. I pray, God, that you would unify us in the spirit of prayer, in the spirit of Christ. And Father, I thank you for the word today through the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, and I pray that you would use it to give us further insight, Lord, to give us tracks to run on, to know how we can live this life. Lord, would you anoint your word? Would you bless it? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're studying the book of Colossians. I want to pop a map up on the screen for you. This is... The little red dot there is so small, you can hardly see it, but that's modern-day Turkey. And on the west coast of Turkey is a little town called Colossae. I chose to give us the worldview. The little blue dot on the right, guess who that is? Yes, that's us. And so there was a church, you know, the church started uh, just south of the red dot in Israel at Pentecost. And then from there, it moved westward, and the gospel is traveling westward around the globe. It's going to come all the way back to Israel one day. And uh, we are a hub in Southeast Asia, and we're trusting God to use us to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. Amen? So that's a map of Colossae. Paul had never actually visited the church. He heard about them, and he was so encouraged when he heard about their faith. He said, you know what? I just got to write to these guys. I want to encourage them. And so this is what Paul said. We're just going to look at one segment of chapter 1 today, verses 9 through 19. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We'll stop there. And so in this passage, we find three prayer points for the church. According to the Apostle Paul, here are the things that we should pray for for people in the church. Number one, pray for fullness. Pray for fullness. Verse 9 says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he says that you may be filled. 
And that's a key word in the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul uses the word filled seven times in the, in the letter to the Christians in Colossae. And it carries the idea of being fully equipped. You know, it used to be, it used, to be used to describe a, a ship that was fully loaded and ready to set sail. You know, a captain might come to the main man and say, hey, is the ship filled? Meaning, is it loaded and ready to go? And you need to know that in Christ, you have all that you need for the voyage of life. You have all that you need. But how does this happen? How do you get filled with the knowledge of his will? The knowledge of God's will is acquired through a combination of the word of God and the spirit of God. You need both. You need the word of God and you need the spirit of God. You can't get it with the Bible alone. You can't understand the Bible and God's message through it without the Spirit of God dwelling within you. We'll talk about a verse that explains that in a moment. And it's very difficult if you don't have a Bible because you're missing vast portions of the kingdom of God. It's a combination of both. You need the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And Paul explains the importance of the Holy Spirit when it comes to understanding God's will. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verses 11 through 13, Paul says, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received the spirit not from the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. In other words, the spirit of God enables us to know the things of God. So I want to share an example of well, what does that look like? So seven years ago, Terry and I were living in Washington State, and we had just finished an internship uh, for biblical counseling, and we were looking for the next step. Where do we go from here? And some doors of opportunity for employment had closed, and we were both really seeking the Lord, and it was really nice. We were staying in this, this beautiful place, I have to tell you a quick story about how that happened. Um, the Lord had provided uh, for us to be able to go there and do this internship. Uh, we had a friend, we're renting their house in Las Palmas, and they live 10 minutes away from where we were doing the internship. They live in eastern Washington. And we said, hey, uh, we're going to be going there. We're looking for a place to stay. Can you recommend an apartment? And they said, very interesting. They said, she said, my husband just got a job to be stationed back on Guam, and since you're renting our house, why don't we just switch? And so we did. We drove their car. They had our furniture. We had theirs. We just switched houses. And uh, God was amazing. But we were coming to the end of that particular season. And we were praying, God, what's next? And I'm sitting in the backyard. And the Lord says to me, turn to Leviticus. And my response was not very spiritual. I said, Leviticus? I said, thanks, Lord, great. I said, that's a big book. I said, we're in Leviticus. And so I did what I advise all, non, all young Christians never to do. I did the crystal ball method. And so I took the pages of Leviticus, and I went, and I opened it, and it was at Leviticus 25. And Leviticus 25 says that um, in the year of Jubilee, now you have to understand what the year of Jubilee is. The Bible talks about the Sabbath, right? Every seven days, you should take a rest. That's a discipline I encourage all of us to develop. I know it's hard. 
but God is encouraging us to live by faith that if we rest on the seventh day and spend it with him, that he will enable us to be more fruitful in six days than we could do gutting it out for seven days. And so it's, it's a step of faith. He's after our heart. And so the Bible talks about the Sabbath. Well, it also talks about the Sabbath year. And in the agricultural days, the idea was that in the seventh year, you would let the field have a break from harvesting and planting and all of that. And so there's a principle there that we can also apply. And God has this kind of like monologue with his people in Leviticus 25. He says, but if you take the Sabbath year off, you will ask me, how will I feed my family? And then God responds and says, if you do it, he says, I will orchestrate it in such a way in the sixth year that you will be able to survive in the seventh year. And God had actually done that that year. And the amazing thing is, you have to know that at the time I was reading this, I was 49 years old. And I was about to turn 50 in two months. And so the year of Jubilee is when there are seven sets of seven years. And seven times seven is 49, which is my age. And it says the next year is the 50th year. And in the 50th year, it says, you shall return to your homeland and to your people. And I knew God was speaking to me and saying, it's time to go home. And so we did. We came back to Guam. All of that to share that you need the Spirit of God and you need the Word of God in order to know the will of God. And when you do, you have peace and you have confidence and you know you're in the right place at the right time. You know, I like what Gladys said up here from worship. She said, you know, sometimes we're so busy and we have all of our gadgets and we have our schedules and work and, you know, just time alone with God gets pushed out into the margins. I just want to encourage us to have wider margins in our lives and whittle down the schedule and leave some room and leave some space. One of the best ways you can do that is just take a Sabbath. At least connect with God in that day. It's not just, by the way, rest physically. It's a time to spend with God. And there is a Sabbath rest that only comes in the Spirit where you're resting from the striving of life. And it only comes as you're living by faith and you're spending time abiding in Christ. And when you do that, you get to a place where it's like you're not struggling. You're not striving, but you just have peace. And you may not have a lot. You may not have your wish list and everything that you'd like to get. But you know what? It's kind of like drinking fine wine. When you have really fine wine, it doesn't matter if it's a glass or a golden goblet or a wood cup because the wine tastes so good. And when you have the wine of the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter about all the externals. It doesn't matter. But when we're dry and we're empty and we don't have any wine, all we have is the cup, and then we're like, man, I wish I had a better cup. I mean, that Lexus looks really nice on the road. I wish I had one of those. You know, we get distracted about what's really important. It's not the cup. It's what's on the inside that we need to seek. So that's number one. Pray to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Number two, man, I got to move fast. Uh, pray for fruitfulness is number two. Pray for fruitfulness. So verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. I don't want to put another burden on you to perform especially when it comes to the church and all your schedules and the busyness that we're already talking about. And so I just want to share, with it, share the idea with you another way. When you're born physically, you are born, I mean, the moment <laughs> the cell multiplies, 
You were born with all the chromosomes, all the DNA for everything that you will become. The color of your hair, the height of your body, your intelligence, it's all there from the very beginning. Now, you don't know it. You don't even have a brain at that moment. And when you're a baby, none of us remember the day we were born, but all the potential is there. And it's the same way when you're born spiritually. All the potential from the seed of Christ and the Holy Spirit is in there for you to become the spiritual adult that God wants you to be. You know, a baby, it starts to turn over first, make sure they're not laying on the bed when they get that age. (laughs) They fall off. You know, and then they begin to crawl, and then they begin to walk, and then they begin to run. And you know, the father calls that out. When my kids were little and she first began to turn over, she'd turn over and she'd be laying on her arm. And she'd be trying to pull it out, you know, the weight of her body. And I'd go, come on, Tara, pull, pull, Tara. I was training her for the Olympics from the very beginning. (laughs) You know, and then when they're running and they're doing all these things, you can do it. And your heavenly father is doing the same thing with you. There are things that are challenges to you right now. It's like my daughter, man, she's trying to pull her arm out, but it's heavy. And there are some things on you that are heavy. And the father is saying, come on, come on, you can do it. And he's pulling it out of you to live the life that he's called you to live because he knows that eventually you can crawl, you can walk, and you can run. Amen? So be fruitful in that way. Number three, pray for faithfulness. Pray for faithfulness. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Only in the strength of Christ can you fulfill your identity and your destiny. The word all power in the original Greek is the word that we use for the word dynamite. And Paul says, pray for divine supernatural power, for faithfulness to run the race. Because apart from that, we can't finish. This is not your regular race. This requires the Spirit of God in order to finish well. Only by God's power can we be faithful to living the life. And so here's the point of all of this. If I could summarize it all in one word, today's message, all in one word, pray. Pray. Pray for fullness. Fullness to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Fruitfulness, bearing fruit in every good work. And pray for faithfulness. And that is the power to endure with patience. In summary, let's be like the Apostle Paul who prayed for the Christians in Colossae. Let's pray the same way. And I'd even like to make it a personal application today. I know we normally don't do it this way, but if you would, if you would just find a partner sitting nearby, and with these three prayer points up on the screen, I'd like us to pray uh, for your friends, your family, pray for your church family. We're just going to take a few minutes to go ahead and pray as the Apostle Paul prayed, and then I'll close us here in a moment. Let's pray. Let's all pray together. If you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As we're talking about experiencing God, perhaps you're saying, you know what? (laughs) I want to experience God. 
And if you've never made a formal choice to say, God, I want to experience you. If you haven't made that decision yet, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to share your desire. We call that prayer. And so what I'll do is I'll pray out loud. You pray along with me. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's made a way. Today, God, I want to experience the way of life that you've intended for me. And so I'm making a choice to open up and I'm inviting you to come into my life. Father, I declare that I believe in you and I am seeking you and I'm asking you to show yourself to me. I ask that you would reveal yourself. Father, I pray that you would also forgive me for things I've done that have been hurtful. Lord, you know what they are. God, I ask that you would cleanse me from the guilt. And Lord, even remove the shame where I felt maybe there's something wrong with me. Father, would you even remove that and allow me to know that I'm accepted, that I'm approved, that I'm forgiven. And so right now, if you're in this process, I want to invite you just to receive his forgiveness to receive his spirit, to receive his love because he's here for you right now. And let him come in. Let him come in. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in these hearts. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have sealed them for the day of appearing before you and that you have started them on that journey now to experience you and your kingdom. And so, God, I pray for each one that made that decision just now that you would protect them and that you would provide for them the things that they need, whether it's money or friends or whatever the circumstance, God, would you reveal your love and your power in their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a big hand to all those who just made that decision. And if you would all stand, those who just prayed, we have a free gift for you. It's called a one-to-one booklet. Just go over to the one-to-one table in that corner and claim it. It's yours for free. It'll help you get established in your walk with God. Thank you, guys. You've been great. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.